think about the things we're going to talk about, as you read and as you ponder, I'd love to hear what you think. And uh, I promise I won't hold that uh, against you. Uh, in fact, I would, I would invite folks who go, mm, I don't know about this. Now you say, goodness, Jeff, with an introduction like this, you know, what, what are we going to talk about here? <clears throat> well, I'm going to talk about the question, what do you do with a broken covenant? What do you do with a covenant that is a pain, that is a problem? Some pains and problems are good things. The Bible speaks about two different kinds of stones. There are foundation stones that the Old Testament says, don't mess with that. The Old Testament tells us that if you mess with a foundation stone, that's an ungodly thing because those stones mark important borders. But then there are stumbling stones. Now those are the kind you should move. In fact, to leave a stumbling stone in place simply is a way of saying to other people, I don't care. As my wife will sometimes say to me when I put something in the trash and kind of have to, you know, the one under the sink, the All-American trash location, uh, you know, I'll, I'll stick something down there and it's kind of overflowing. So I just kind of mash it down to get it down in there. And she says, does it ever occur to you <laughs> that there is no trash fairy? <laughs> and that I'm glad you pushed it down so it didn't flow out, but would you think about taking it out? It was our first year of marriage, and I've taken all the trash in our house out. <laughs> That's a lie. I, uh, <laughs> but I believe I may have been guilty of not really tackling some of the stumbling stones that had become urgent and, quite frankly, troubling. You're probably aware of some of the statistics that have been already quoted at this event a couple of times. Working in the Office of Church Relations and directing the Youth Leadership Initiative, I am buried in this data. Data about what the next generation is thinking about God, or rather not thinking about God, or the church, or the Bible. I am not a believer in the stories that, oh, all is lost and the sky is falling, henny penny, look out. I am, however, a believer in some of the surveys that have told us that this is not your mama's teen group. In fact, this isn't my teen group. When I sit and talk with teenagers about the kind of things they're dealing with, the kind of issues they're facing, the kind of material they're confronted with, and you may think pornography, I'm saying the new atheists. The kind of YouTube channels that all of a sudden become clickbait for them, and they're hearing sophisticated, bright people say, really? Really? You still believe in that? Well, I want to talk today about the part that the broken covenant that we refer to as the Old Testament plays in that. And I want to begin with a word of prayer. So let's do that. God, we are thankful for you, your love, and your word. God, I believe in your word. I believe in the way that you inspired it through writers, believers of old, who spoke things that we needed to hear on your behalf. 
I am thankful that you let their personalities flow into this holy document. I am thankful to get a piece of a vision of who Paul was through his writings, of who John was through his, Matthew, Luke, Peter. So, Father, we, we wrestle when we seek to know how to rightly handle the scriptures. And we ask your blessing. And God, I just ask that the good stuff from what I'm about to share will stick and the rest of it will just fall away like chaff. Thank you for your love, and thank you for bringing a new and better covenant in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray and all say, Amen. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to read a couple of passages that you are probably pretty familiar with. But before I read them, I need to brag on my mom. Mom's been gone several years now. My father was a minister serving Downey, the Downey Church of Christ in Bremerton, the Wayland Church of Christ actually helped to, to, to launch that congregation. And so mom was in the big middle of every VBS, Bible class, or youth or children's program. This was before the days of youth ministers. I don't know how we did it, but we managed somehow. It was before the days of children's ministers. At least we didn't have one in our little congregation. And so the ladies of the church there at Downey would work together, sometimes meeting at my mama's house right next to the church, to work on their, wait for it, flannel graph collection. <laughs> How many flannel graph veterans do we have here in, in the house? All right. Now, this is two kind of questions. How many remember seeing and being in classes with flannel graphs? How many remember ever actually using or presenting flannel graph? <laughs> and do we have anybody here who thinks it's a type of pajama? Sure. <laughs> okay, all right. I sometimes will use that phrase with, uh, with students here on campus who are like, what? What is flannel graph? You know, I, I've had one ask, oh, I think I've heard their music. <laughs> Serious. I had one ask if it was a type of pajamas. Um, I had one say, is that a thing in like a statistic? You know, a flannel graph somehow? <laughs> and when I tell them, they are incredulous. They did what? They would cut out these pictures on felt, and then they would have a felt board. My mother was a flannel graph ninja. She was a black belt at flannel graph. She could make you believe that Naaman just lost his she would float baby Moses down a flannel graph uh, river with just a gentle move of her hand. And when she swapped out the blind man for the man with his eyes like this, the miracle had happened right there. <laughs> Some of my favorite memories in Sunday school was being raised on these great Old Testament stories that my wife, my wife, my mom, had recreated in flannel graph. Noah and the ark. And the way the, the, the little animals were in perspective, so they looked so small leading up to the ark. Until you put Noah right next to it, and he looks like, you know, Ant-Man when he's blown up, gigantic there next to the little ark. Or the story of Joseph. Oh, Mom had one whole shoebox just dedicated to Joseph. Because Joseph needed different costumes. Joseph needed the servant kind of boy costume, and then the coat of many colors costume. And then, woohoo! He needed 
Pharaoh-esque. Uh, in fact, she even swapped out, and I'll never forget, her taking a pin to give him just a little eyeliner when he was the Pharaoh, uh, you know, the, uh, the right hand of Pharaoh, because she wanted it to be convincing. Sweet memories of flannel graph Naaman and the Battle of Jericho. Now, while Mom was a master of the flannel graph, my father was an absolute Old Testament whiz when it came to what I now call the Church of Christ Catechism. <laughs> on, uh, on Sunday mornings, we would have children's time before Bible class started. Now, I'd be curious to know if anybody else had this as in your congregation. Maybe this is a thing my dad did. But I remember we would all come and sit in the first two or three pews for about 10 minutes before Bible class began. And my father always started with the same question. Who made the world? Oh, good. Wow. Okay. <laughs> We're going to have to back way up. If we don't have so I'm a little curious. This, this, seriously, this is what I was raised on. Who made the world? How many days take you to make it?
like preparing after the Pharaoh had those dreams. Remember the dreams? Woke up that morning, he was all so upset. That's after he was in the cell with the baker and the uh, cupbearer, and he uh, interpreted their dreams, told the baker, you're going back to service, told the cupbearer to do that to me. And sure enough, he was right with both of them. And when he finally gets up before Pharaoh's, he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. The Pharaoh had a dream of seven cows that come up out of the river. Seven, what kind of cows? And then right behind fat cows come seven skinny cows. And the skinny cows ate the fat cows. But they did not gain any weight. That's the diet I have been looking for. <laughs> All the beef you want, not gain any weight, right? And Joseph, after the corn dream, which is very similar, interprets the dream for him. Pharaoh says, that's it, you're such a wise man. He yanks his brother's chain with the golden cup. But the bottom line is he gets them all up there. And they're all in Egypt. Which we knew meant, uh-oh, dun-dun-dun. Because Egypt was not going to go good. Because there came a new Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And before you know it, these Israelites who were so fertile, he said, there's so many of them, let's just make them slaves. And the people cried out. Pharaoh said, we're going to trim the population. Tell you what, any more boys that are born, kill them. That's stunning for us to hear. It was just an executive order for Pharaoh, boom. And so they went out door to door, and they heard the baby was going to be born. And the people only had a little time to get rid of the child, to hide the child, to cry. Because otherwise, those boys from Pharaoh would take that child out to the Nile River and throw it in. Down there bathing, but mom had a toga on her. Oh, okay. uh, we discussed that in junior high. Uh, so, <laughs> so she finds him and takes him, and he becomes the Pharaoh's wolf. And before you know it, God calls him after he says all that and says, I want you to let tell Pharaoh to let my people go. We loose Moses on into the Exodus and on through into judgment. You remember. Let's say them together. <laughs> Othniel, Eber, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Abimelech, Tola, Jair, Jephthah, Gibson, Elon, Samson, Eli, and Samuel. Don't you dare be Presbyterian. <laughs> no, seriously. I learned those things way before I ever got to fifth grade. Because my mom.
because for me, those were beautiful pictures of a grand history. But today, as I sit down with Pepperdine students, as I talk with high schoolers and junior highs, who, when they are given a Bible, many are, well, I want to be careful what I say here, uh, there is less biblical knowledge. Now, be careful, I didn't say wisdom. I am supportive 
of our religious classes. I believe everybody needs to learn the Bible. Can we all say, I get that? Yeah. Second, I believe in the scripture. I believe in the inspiration of the scripture. But I am asking myself the question, am I starting at the right spot? When the first thing, a new freshman gets, religion 101. I'm not just saying here, everyone, everyone. The Old Testament, the broken covenant. The covenant that isn't our covenant. Everybody with me on that? Everybody say, I'm glad that's not our covenant. Amen. You don't, you don't have to run around with blood on your hands from killing animals. You don't have to go to a temple someplace. You don't have to find a priest. Because that's not our covenant. But it is the place where many who think the Bible is hogwash love to camp. Because without context and without an appropriate interpretation, and sometimes, can I just be honest, even with an appropriate interpretation, there's stuff in the Old Testament that I'm just like, Lord, I don't know if I'd have told you that. <laughs> I think you could have kept that one between me and the angels, you know. I think you could have left that out. Those of you who are Old Testament scholars will know why I just can't hardly sing the song Someone's in the Kitchen with Dynamite. <laughs> You'll have to look it up. It involves Shechemites. Now you say, but Jeff, all these things aren't good things. No, 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 they're not good things. But before we walk away from Noah, let's remember Noah didn't cause the flood. Noah didn't suggest that idea to God. Now if that's troubling you, we're heading in a good direction. And I don't want to leave you troubled. And over the next two days, I'm, I'm going to hope to offer some things that will be helpful as you talk to more and more people, young people, I hope, because if we have the baton of faith, we're in charge of passing that baton on. Amen? Amen? Okay, we can't grab their hand and force them to take it, but we've got to hold it out where they can reach it. And so doing that for the next generation means I have to realize two things about current culture and the way young people and millennials look at Scripture. First off, there is a loss of respect in our culture for the Bible. There is discussion already afoot of whether or not future presidents will have to use the Bible as the book that they will place their hands on. That would have been unthinkable just a couple of decades ago. In our courtrooms now, uh, you know, you see the old movie courts, well, I swear on the Bible, nobody swears on the Bible. Now, of course, if you see a member of the Church of Christ, I would probably never swear on the Bible because I think it's theologically not. And so knowing that scriptures not only have lost some respect. And some would say, why do you think that's happened? I'm going to give you two, uh, three reasons. A, uh, religious diversity. You know, America's always been a melting pot, but I grew up in a country where Christianity was the assumed leader. We were a Christian nation. I, I, I swallowed that myth fully. And maybe there was a time when some could say, well, Christianity was front and center. Here's, here's one you didn't know. I'm going to say it because you know. How many of you have ever been to Disneyland? It's a great name. Anybody here on opening day? You'd have to be, okay, who's here on opening day? That's crazy. I, I want a selfie with you. That's awesome. <laughs> Seriously, that's awesome. Were you there on the day that it was dedicated and Walt got up yeah. and spoke? Yeah. 
then you may remember, and I've seen the TV footage, that after Walt spoke, if I get the order right, Ron Reagan, who was doing the play-by-play, said, and now there will be a prayer for giving way. And a minister that Walt had selected, Lutheran Presbyterian, stepped up and said, we're thankful for Walt Disney and what he's done, and we want to bless this and ask God to use this place to bless families. He said, will you all please join me? Now, it was a silent prayer. He didn't word it in a flowery one, but my, my, my jaw was on my chest when I saw that footage. Because the Disney company today probably doesn't have a lot of prayers when they open Shanghai Disney or uh, Disney, uh, Disney World. I'm not, I'm not, not mashing Disney. I love Disneyland. I'm a big Disneyland fan, and that made me even because Walt had dedicated, devoted, I, I, I can't say that Walt was, don't really know, but Walt knew this, America was. And so when he opened America's theme park, it opened to the prayer of 1955. But we're not in Kansas anymore. We live in a culture in which there is such loss of respect for scripture that people are wide-eyed and shocked when intelligent folks say they actually believe the Bible. Second, we live in a time when scientific research brings into question some of the simple historicity of the Old Testament. Now, I am now going to walk out on some really thin ice, but I do that in a place that I know many of you, and I believe we can talk together about things that I'm puzzled about. So, to cover my bases, I said earlier, I remember the preacher who used to say, I believe in the Bible. I believe in the Bible from the book of Genesis through the Maps in the back. It's all inspired <laughs> by God. And in part, I would join him in that. But a simplistic reading of the Old Testament, a reading of the Old Testament devoid of the study of the background, of the, of the way that history was told in those days, a reading of the Old Testament through the eyes of a typical Westerner, who expects certain kinds of historicity in stories, who expects a certain kind of play-by-play -play in front of the newspaper, you realize that the scripture has a number of genres in it, a number of types of literature. And the first chapter of the book of Genesis is highly poetic. What do I mean by that? I mean that if you heard it in Hebrew, you would hear rhythms, too, in the evening and the morning with the first Remember that this is being orally shared in all probability before it is written down. Why would I think that? When we want to teach our children something we want them to remember before they can read, you know how we do it? Songs, poems, even us. In 1492, yeah, that is a mnemonic device. I believe that there was a great deal of mnemonic use for the first chapter of the book of Genesis. But when a new atheist steps up and says, oh, this is your book? Hand me your book. Really? Take a look at this. Light is created on this day, and the sun, moon, and stars are created on this day. Really? You've got
anybody really want us to believe that? And so they challenge a notion that we really never should have had anyway. That the, uh, the first chapter of Genesis should be divvied up scientifically by us saying in our Western world, when, when, I, when I sit down with a rabbi, when I sit down with somebody who is steeped in the Old Testament, or even a, was there a great Old Testament pastor, I love Tim Willis, he's my go-to, and he helped me with this. And I believe it was Tim that said, Jeff, I want you to just take a look at the six days. Light, day and night. And then, what did he do next? Divided the waters above and the waters below, so we had sky and sea. And then the third day brought land out of the waters. And so land, grass. What happened to the next three days? some Roman or, or Greek stories of creation or lightning bolts, but a God who carefully prepared a place for everything and everyone. Wow. And I thought he put that there so that I could beat up anybody who just thought it took more than six days to make the world. Now, you say, Jeff, are you a young earth creationist, old earth creationist? Well, here's my challenge. simple, flat, that's what it says, kind of response to it is driving our kids to a scary choice, to a false binary. It is putting them in a position where the freshman comes home after one uh, half a semester. It's Thanksgiving. I always pray for our kids too when they leave the Thanksgiving freshman when they go home with their Christian family. Hey, well, what, what Bible class are you taking, Grandpa asked? Well, um, what was in Old, Old Testament? Oh, man, yeah. What did you learn? Well, <laughs> here's how the freshman has two choices. One, you can say, well, actually, Grandpa, I learned that uh, the first chapter may well be poetic. And uh, that, that, you know, the first three days, the second three days, and, and, and it's not really poetic. It's, it's literally, as we saw it. Things like this come out of your mouth. I'm 
land's sakes, don't you know better than that? Good night, you Google the BBS. I mean, look, here, here, let me, so, honey, you got the flannel graph, bring them out here. We'll show you how this is. It's simple, boy. And when they ask about Noah, and they ask about the brutality of killing them all, or when they ask about the Canaanite slaughter, you mean, we well, yeah, don't kill them all. God told us to kill them all. Did God forbid to kill a baby? I mean, you know, Jericho, Old Testament. Yeah, all the Bible says we may kill the donkey. That's all. What is a pagan donkey? I mean, I'm just curious how old the baby's pregnant was for a living, because that's kind of what I always heard. God was kind of wiping it clean. Just kill the donkey. Anybody uncomfortable yet? And I began to listen to his speech, and I began to read, and I began to think, man, oh, man. I caught, I breezed through all that stuff, saying Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, like, Gad, Asher, Israel, Jephthah, and Joseph, and didn't think much about the people who were already in the land that Israel was going into and wiping out. So, I put on Somebody, and by the way, I thought God did that. I mean, you know, the, the, the binding and the order and everything. That didn't happen for nearly 300 years into the story of Christianity. For 300 years, there was no top Israel. And when they put it together, they decided, and I, I'll get the guy's name for you tomorrow because I thought I had it in my notes and I didn't. The guy who actually said, hey, we'll call this part the Old and then called this part the New Testament. And so all of us who've got Bibles knew that somewhere right around in here, a little more than half, we'd find Matthew. And everything to the left of that was before Jesus, and everything to the right of that was after Jesus. There's a lot before Jesus. <laughs> and if I don't understand, I don't know if I'm going to make it all the way to Matthew. Because I'd be so muddled and confused. Oh, come on. Do these kids know better than that? I'm here to look in the eye and lovingly say they were not raised like you were raised. They have not been exposed to the, to the Bible teaching and to, uh, to, to, to scriptural understanding that you and I do. And at times, even my own scriptural understanding, I feel like may have been blossomed some things which leads me to number C uh, or three under, under multiple reasons for the lack of respect in culture. The internet confronts our teenagers with arguments against the Bible that generations of Christian students were never exposed to so young. Okay, 
I was in high school when a buddy of mine, Bob Williams, was a really brilliant architect. I was the best man in his wedding. When Bob invited me to come help at his VBS. Now, Bob had come and helped at my VBS, because I said, Bob, hey, we need somebody, you know, and can you help us, you know, do a couple stage settings up and all that stuff. And Bob was great. And I was thinking, oh, man, we're going to get Bob, you know. So he went. No idea what was behind the door of Christ Lutheran Lutheran Church, except not the church in New Bedford. And so when Bob said to me, hey, listen, I'm going to be at this next week. Would you be willing to come and help? Uh, let me ask my mom and dad. And so I said, hey, what, what about this? What do you mean, what about this? found it shocking how little they attacked this half of the book. 
back and almost never went after Jesus. Now, at this point, I struggle to say, what do we do about that? Let me give you a second challenge. The loss of respect in culture for the Bible is matched with a lack of biblical literacy and the rise of an unchurched generation. Today, many young people are not reading it, and even churchgoers are not reading it and studying it as they did. And thanks to digital versions, here's my 60-second rant about not using one of these. In fact, I don't even have, I'm embarrassed, I don't have a cell phone with me. Does anybody, tell me how they verify their cell
sure if I have to do and it's totally safe to me. Because yet, I want to be a Christian today. What, what about all this part? Being a believer now? Being separated. The Hebrew writer, we have to call him or her that because they blame not to have their name in. The Hebrew writer addresses some of the tensions that was going on in the early church. We'll talk clearly tomorrow uh, about the, um, the Jerusalem Council, but I want you to go to, to Hebrews chapter 8, where the Hebrew writer is going to contrast and compare and say one of these things is not like the other between the Old Testament and the New. Now, when I say Old Testament, I know you're thinking about the Bible. I, I want you to think covenant. Okay, the Old Covenant. The Ten Commandments, the you do this and I'll do this, that God did. And blessings and curses that we find in, Gen in Deuteronomy. And that are the foundation and the fabric of everything that comes after, let my people go, and you're a new nation. Now that's the fabric they lived in. Blessings, curses, the covenant with God. And God warned them, and the prophets warned them. If you don't do what you're supposed to do, then you're not going to get what you think you're going to get. And I'll say tomorrow that there are times when we have reached back and took that vision of the world and dumped it on Jesus, who never asked for it. That's why legalism and earning my salvation feels so Natural. Because when I grab an Old Testament concept and I stick it onto my new Lord, who, by the way, said, um, I have a new command. What do you mean, Jesus? He was already flipping tables and already saying, hey, look, you have heard it said, but I love your friends and hate your enemies, but I tell you, you have heard it said, but I tell you. And that's pretty, that's pretty authoritative for him to look at the, the Torah to look at the Old Covenant and say, yeah, this is yours. You say, well, I, Jeff, I, I, I don't know if that's fair. You telling me that's not? Well, let's just let the Hebrew writer tackle it. Here we go. I'm going to pick up in verse, um, I pick up in verse 3. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, but there are already priests who offer gifts prescribed by what? The law, verse 4. They serve as a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it you make everything according to the pattern. The pattern. Anybody ever heard of that in church discussion? The pattern. Guess where that came from? That's a reach back and grab an Old Testament Lego and stick it on the New Testament concept. And we've been arguing and fussing about that for years. It just keep going. He says, be sure and, and make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry, but in fact, the ministry, can you say it with me? But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, his priesthood to theirs, as the covenant, old or new, ever seen new, as the covenant of which he is mediator is 
superior to the old one since the new covenant is established on better promises. Just let that soak in. That old covenant is busted. Better promises are in our new covenant. Boy, I hope we all can praise God about that. Amen. Hope we all can praise God that we're not going to heaven because we do the right sacrifices. We're not going to heaven because we keep the right temples. We're not going to heaven because we do the pattern. We're going to heaven because Christ died for our sins on the cross. Saved by grace through faith. Now, careful, careful, we want to run out and say, well, you're saying it doesn't matter what we do. No, no, it matters what Jesus did, and we live in a faith response to what Jesus did, but if you think there's an SAT score that's waiting for you in heaven that says, you got just two points over, you're in, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you missed those Wednesday nights, remember? Early on, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Uh, we giggle, but, but there's, there's a part of me that says, oh, I feel so wrong about that. And you know what I had to get past? I blamed it on the legalism of the church. We've done this for years. You grabbed an Old Testament Lego and popped it onto a New Testament table. Well, it, there's, there's more to come. Okay, let's keep going. <clears throat> Since the new covenant is established on better promises, here's the sentence that ought to blow us out of our chairs. But we're so used to it. For if there had been nothing, come on, with the, okay, wait, 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 okay, did the part of the Bible just tell me that another part of the Bible was wrong? Maybe they're wrong, right? And the Old Testament is right. Praise God, Jesus is right, amen? Jesus is the Savior, Jesus is the Lord, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand out of Egypt. He says, listen, God was already in the Old Testament projecting that this was going to happen, that there would be a day that would come. We've got to skip ahead for time down to uh, verse uh, 13. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one. Maybe we need to start calling Obsolete covenant and the new covenant. Now that that give grandma a chill, but according to the Hebrew writer, he's made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Wow. Sounds almost like Jesus when he said, I have come not to abolish the old covenant. By that I mean just do it away. I've come to full. The word fulfilled there can be translated as in closed or completed. It's like a plane that lands. The flight has landed, right? Jesus landed the plane of the old covenant. He fulfilled it. He nailed it to the cross. He completely, completely built it. He made it obsolete. How obsolete? How outdated?
How are you going to fulfill all those temple commandments? Jesus was the final sacrifice, praise God. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And while it's pretty easy for us to go, well, yeah, of course the animal sacrifices are over. Tomorrow, we will listen to some of the harshest words Paul uses in the entire canon of his letter in the New Testament. When Paul says, um, here's some of the pillars that we think you can go back and take an Old Testament leg of and put it on the New Testament. And we're trying to finish by the Spirit, uh, finish in the flesh what was begun in the Spirit, because you want to make them be circumcised. We're glad to hear him put it this way. And what he says next is never talked about in the New Testament. <laughs> and if you're going, I don't remember that, I'm not going to tell you until tomorrow. <laughs> And when you do, you'll say, oh, wait a second, is that how we've been in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like Dinah and the Shechemites, we kind of skipped that story on the fly. So, what do we say? I'm asking a question, not about, is the Old Testament God's word? No, no, it is God's word. But I'm asking a question about how we do it, teach it, and how we introduce people to a new I wonder, I wonder if I can begin by calling what our speaker calls it this morning in the field house, the Hebrew scriptures. That's the Hebrew scriptures. They're there for our learning. They're there for us to read and, and understand and hear these stories, some of these stories that are puzzling and difficult. But it's the Hebrew scriptures. The Christian scriptures are those that tell the story of Jesus in the Old Testament. Oh, surely, absolutely. In fact, the Hebrews have been found all kinds of places in the Old Testament, and I'm not even sure if the writers ever included what they were talking about. Because when you're looking for something, you'll often find what you're looking for. Just uh, when you drive around today, look for red cars. And we got red cars. Because you're looking for them. As Christians, we look for Jesus everywhere, and so do the early uh, you know, church fathers. But just because I hear prophecy about Or be bound to think, I've got to defend every page here and say, yeah, 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 that's really okay. Actually, some things happen in the Old Testament that aren't okay. And when the thing David that killed Goliath in battle, okay, that's kind of fair, you know, writes, oh, I want to smash the heads of my enemies, David, on a rock. It's in the song. How do we help a generation that's brand new? Tomorrow, we're going to pause and just kind of ponder together about introducing them to the greatest figure in all of history. Maybe even for history. What about the backstory? We'll get to the backstory. But here's, if I've only got five minutes of this, I've only got six or seven for you. Here's what you need to know. God so loved the world that he gave came to the earth, fully God, fully man, and showed us how to be fully human, and told us he had a new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. This generation is dying to hear that 
stories in the Old Testament getting in the way of them getting there. And there, we'll continue tomorrow. God bless. Father, uh, thank you for letting us be challenged. God, I, I thank you for challenging me, but Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm still wrestling. And so first, I just need to confess ignorance. And I confess there are questions that I can't answer. There are difficult scientific puzzles I can't puzzle out. But oh Lord, thank you that I don't have to do that to be saved. Thank you that my salvation is in Jesus Christ. Thank you that I am not measured by some Old Testament law. Thank you that my goodness is not put on the scale. Thank you that my sacrifices are not weighed. Thank you that instead it was the weight of Jesus on the cross that bought me heaven and everybody else who would choose it. Thank you for Jesus. May we focus on him. May we lean into him. And may we show that yes, there's a broken covenant with which well, things were wrong. God, we know the things that were wrong with us. We couldn't keep that covenant. No way, no how. But Father, I believe you knew that and you were preparing us. You were building a nation and building a path and bringing the Messiah who when he came, nailed it to the cross with his own body and then opened the way to a new covenant that this world is dying to receive. May you live it out. Spirit of power and in Jesus.